Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Welcome to the show wherever around the world that you're listening. If you're listening in the week this goes out, it's Christmas, which in some countries means a lot. In other countries, it means nothing. It's just another Tuesday. I remember the first Christmas I spent outside of a Western Christian country. I was like, woke up on December 25th and I heard a a bandsaw going next door, cutting tiles. I'm like, what the, what the, what the, what the, what the will is? Oh, it's just Tuesday here. No one cares. <laughs> That's okay. Welcome. I'm glad you can be here. Um, over the next couple of weeks, uh, me and the team, we're all kind of taking it. We're not taking a break. We'll just take a little bit easy. So I'm going to run a few episodes that you might have missed. Um, this one in particular uh, might have slipped through the cracks, but it's extraordinarily pertinent at this time of year. And I well and truly hope that you you, you give it all you can because it's well worth it. This episode is with the extraordinary E.G. Hansjemis. You can find out more about him at latinsamurai.com, L-A-T-I-N-S-A-M-U-R-A-I.com. More about E.G. in a moment. What is this show? Well, this podcast is a conversation that you get to be a part of. It's a conversation specifically created and curated to hopefully help you make today a little bit better than yesterday because really, as human beings, that's how we got where we are. We're just like, how do we do this a little bit better? That's it. Here we are. Sometimes this conversation is going to be with someone that you know. Sometimes it'll be someone you don't know. But no matter what, I guarantee that in the next hour, you'll hear something that you need to hear. You will hear something in the next hour of listening, maybe an hour and a bit today, that will um, help you make today a little bit better than yesterday, because that's what I'm here to do. Who am I? Well, I am a TV host, podcaster, author, husband, stepfather, antibiotic taker, spiritual explorer, non-alcohol drinker, kettlebell blister, have a accidental couch nap during the family movie last night, take a coffee bean weigher and early morning accidental loud noise kitchen maker, Osher Ginsberg. Good morning. Uh, this is my podcast and I'm very glad you're here. If you're listening in a country where Christmas is a thing, my thoughts are with you. It's a big, joyful, stressful time of year, family pressure, expectation to consume thrust upon us through constant messaging, expectation to gather together and eat food with people we may not wish to be around, pressure to create a family meal for 10 one day and then have that same family packed and ready to go on a holiday the next. It's a fucking nightmare, man. doesn't have to be. It's as big or as little as you want to make it. You can engage with that person in your family that's dropping bait or you can look at them with compassion and see their actions as a self-protection mechanism as a way that they use to feel safer, to put distance between them and people they're confronted by or a situation they're confronted by or you see it as their pain. You can walk outside. You can take 10 breaths. You can do that. If you have a solid routine and you've been doing the work around knowing what self-care you need every day, you should be able to absorb a little more than usual around this time of year. You should also know your limits. Know when you can't take it anymore. Now's a good time to go out and join in the bomb dive competition at the pool out the back. You know what I'm talking about. A big thank you to everybody that sent me through a podsy picture. What's a podsy, you might be thinking? Well, chances are, you know, if 10,000 people listen to each episode, three people listen on a desktop, everybody else listens on a phone. So uh, people, I love it. 
have sent me, and I love it when you do send me a picture that you take with that phone and you email it to me, send osheremail at gmail.com, uh, a picture of what you're looking at exactly at this point right now. What are you doing right now? Take a photo of it. Because you listen to podcasts when you're doing stuff. I listen to podcasts when I'm doing stuff. Uh, Janine sent me a pic of a glorious piece of coastline. She was listening to the Steve Bukine episode and she made a point that her upper third of her picture had a very straight horizon. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Janine. Uh, Jane was listening under a full moon in Townsville, which looked absolutely glorious. And Ty sent me a pic of trying to fix a U-lock for a bike. It sucks when they freeze. Ty, I've been there. I'm grateful for you, Ty, that your U-lock for your bike froze when it was off the bike because the other way around can really suck. Uh, yeah. Speaking of emails, um, you can always send me an email. Send osheremail at gmail.com. I've got a question this week from someone. Uh, let's say his name is Bruce. It's not, but let's just say it is. Uh, Bruce wrote, if you, if I, this is what Bruce wrote, if I have been listening properly, you have been honest on the show about your first marriage and how your mental illness had such a huge effect on the relationships in your life. Yes, Bruce, you have been listening properly. There was also a lot of drinking in that first marriage, but the drinking was self-medicating for dealing with what the hell was going on in my brain. Bruce's question. My question to you is, if you were to give one piece of advice for someone with mental illness who wants to make their relationship work despite it, what would it be? Well, well, Bruce, first and foremost, it's very important that I point out I am not a psychologist. I am not a doctor. I am not a marriage counsellor. I am not in any way at all qualified to answer this question. I can only tell you what worked for me or what I try to work on that seems to make a difference. I would say the answer here for me is to always take responsibility. Take responsibility for what's in my head, for the brain I'm born with, See my doctor, follow their advice, take the meds if I need to. Take responsibility for the routine that I build to move away from habits that were created by whatever had been going on in my head. Habits around fear, habits around avoidance, habits around lethargy, habits around procrastination and building a routine to take me away from that little by little every day. Do the writing every day. Do the exercise every day. Do the work for others every day. Take responsibility for how I frame going to work, how I frame hanging out with relatives that I may or may not get along with, how I frame doing work around the house. Take responsibility for my part. Take responsibility for my habitual reactions. At the moment I realize that I've put my foot in it, admit fault, allow the other person to feel the hurt from what I've done, and then work hard to make it better and make sure it doesn't happen again. Now, that might just be to validate the situation and let that person know I can see what's happened. Allow them to feel that. Don't go in defense mode. Just go, yes, I did that. I can see that that hurt you. It sucks. you got to do it. As my brother says, you got to eat crow, man. I try to take responsibility and work hard to figure out how to not do that again. And sometimes that looks like this. I try to reverse engineer the situation and figure out where it started for me, what was my part in it. It might have escalated to a point that blew up, but 30 minutes ago, for example, when my partner walked into the room and felt that I wasn't present, figure out a way to do something around that. Okay, that was the point that started where we got to. And that might be, okay, you put in an if-then routine if you're like a coder or a programmer, you might know what an if-then looks like. So if my partner walks in or if my partner comes home, then I'll put my phone down or turn it off. 
take responsibility and put in systems to change the habitual reactions. That might mean like when I feel overwhelmed, I take a minute to go outside and breathe. Then you go back in, you sort it out rather than not be notice of, noticing of that and then, you know, it all spirals out of, out of control. I try to take responsibility for the choices that I've made to get me where I am. Uh, that could look like taking responsibility for staying in a job I mightn't like and taking responsibility for the resentment that I have around that choice. Sucks. Got to do it. I found, Bruce, that taking responsibility for my situation is the key to figuring it out and it's the key to others then look at you and go, oh, okay, he's willing to do the work and I'm willing to stay around because he's willing to work on whatever's shitty for me right now. He's willing to figure it out. That's what I try to do, mate. I'm, I'm not perfect. I, I, I strive for it. I don't say I get it every time. I'm probably worse at it than I wish I was. But that's what I try to do. Like I said, though, mate, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a life coach. I don't even pretend to be one on the internet. I'm just telling you what I try to follow in my own life. Anyway, I hope that answered your question. Send us your email at gmail.com if you need anything through the week. But first, before the guest. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So let me tell you about my guest today. It's one from the archives, but it's one that is super appropriate for this time of year. Iji Hanshimis is a highly successful publisher, filmmaker, lecturer, and happiness expert. You can find out more about Iji at latinsamurai.com. His exceptional manga biographies of influential world figures have been published in 25 countries and in 10 languages. At 35 years old, working with the biggest media companies in Tokyo, his life resembled a picture-perfect example of what a highly successful person would have. Following a moment in his life, which he and I do talk about, E.G. changed course 
and embarked on a global search for sustainable happiness, where he and his director, Rocco Bellic, travel the world searching for what makes people genuinely and sustainably happy. I think we could all want to know a little about how that works. You can find out more about that, thehappymovie.com. Pretty simple, thehappymovie.com. This is a wonderful conversation between EG and I. It's from a couple of years ago. It took place in an Airbnb in Amsterdam when I was working at the Think School of Creative Leadership there. There's tea sloping, there's crunchy biscuits, there's microphone noise, but there's also bombs of wisdom. So wherever you are in the world on this day, enjoy this conversation on, uh, what was the street we were on? Halamadijk in Jordan in Amsterdam with the fantastic E.G. Hans Schmitz. So do you do this often? I mean, the, the, I know you're in the radio industry, right. but uh, uh, this, you know, setting up, traveling around and mm-hmm. in that, oh, nice, nice. I travel with all this stuff. All right, right. Wow. The, the light stand that was on that chair, mm. I, will, I travel with all of it. These right. are really good. Mm, let me see. A ginger. Walnut, vegan, yeah, cookies. yeah. The the uh, Dutch people are so healthy, mm. health conscious, jogging all the time, and that's really good. Yeah. Okay, hang on. Mm. Do you put the uh, sponsors uh, on your show, or I, I've just started. Mm, nice. Just, yeah. just, just started. So right. we're seeing how that's going to work out. Mm. I've done one hundred and four episodes. Wow. Mm. Around. Life or around? Um, I usually do it to talk to someone who's figured out a way to get paid to do what they love. Mm. I see, I see. And it's usually a parallel story. Mm. Okay. Pretty much. Mm. All the time. But that's what the um, the audience wants to hear. But I think, no, no, just like the method of how people do things Mm -hmm. is usually always the same. Mm. I did it for free right. until I was the best at it. Mm-hmm. And then when it came time to hire someone, mm-hmm. there was no other choice but me. You became your own and, brand. Yeah. Mm. And that's the same with uh, authors, photographers, mm. artists, whoever I've talked to. Right, right, same. Right. It's mm. the same, same, same. Mm. I'm going to eat this and then we're going to start. Sure, it's sure. just so tasty. They're so crunchy. Yeah. Are you teaching uh, think at this moment? Yeah. Okay. How how's uh, how the class? Good. Yeah. Today was good. Yeah. That's what I did this morning. I'll show you. Mm. Anyway, how are you, E.G.? Very good. Welcome. Oh, it's always studying. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I'm <laughs> glad to be here. Right. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Thank you. How are you feeling today? I'm doing great. The nice weather and people are friendly. So yeah. I have a big. Smiles, in yeah. My face. Yeah. Um, thanks for agreeing to do this. Thanks for agreeing to have kind of a similar conversation to the one we had the other day at school. But I'm, I really like what you're doing, and I really would like to share what you're doing with with, with more people. Um, but I think what's you know what's interesting. We are we're, we're a long way from where both of us grew up <laughs> right now. Right. Where uh, where did you grow up? I was born and raised in uh, Yokohama, Tokyo, uh, near Tokyo, uh, in Japan. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, I finished high school in Japan, and after that, I went to the States to learn English. Then, after that, you know, pretty much everywhere. Wait, wait a second. I've got no idea what it's like 
except for the time that I went in Iseko and on Hokkaido, I've got no idea what it's like to be a kid in Japan. Mm. What do you remember about being a kid? I had a very, uh, you know, a happy upbringing. Um, you know, I'm always uh, having a great friends and, and uh, you know, uh, did the sports and, and uh, you know, having fun, hanging out. Yeah. But um, um, interestingly, uh, um, as you pretty much like pass the sixth grade, then uh, the societal pressure started happening. Uh, I was taught uh, to, like, I was forced to study harder, you know, uh, behave well, and, and uh, you know, there's so much pressure coming. And then uh, uh, the happy childhood suddenly, you know, from sixth to seventh grade, like, changed into pressure. And then I think many uh, kids today in Japan feel the same. So, so it was good, but to so. To, to be what, 11 years old, 12 years old? 11, 12, 13, then I, you start feeling, and then actually society uh, kind of hinting that, okay, fun time is up, now you should get ready uh, to, to study harder, be serious, you know, because real world is coming. Uh, and uh, at school, uh, you know, the kids are uh, taught to behave and uh, become conformist and... Uh, and so that's what I did. And and the society pressure. So we're not just talking your parents. We're talking your teachers. We're talking everyone around you. Oh, so what are you going? You know, what are you doing now? Why aren't you doing your homework? That kind of thing. Right, right, right. I, actually, I had a very interesting uh, uh, conversation with uh, my Dutch friend, and then the similar thing is happening in, uh, in the, the, the Dutch society as well. He mentioned that uh, you know there was a group of uh, adults and then uh, uh, kids getting together and then uh, you know talking about something and then the one parent uh, asked uh, you know uh, some other kids uh, what do you want to become when you when you grow up and the kid said uh, well am I somebody you know it's like an automatic assumption that the kids are nobody huh. you know until you become somebody. Like mostly professional, but I think it's um, it's very important uh, to know that you know, hey, uh, you are who you are. You know, you your personality shouldn't be defined by professions. The kid said, "Aren't I somebody? I'm, yeah, I'm somebody already." <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> if only I had that kind of insight mm-hmm. when I was when I was a kid. Mm. So, is it like uh, you know? I talk about this on this show a lot. I went to the only boys in my school and there was a lot of pressure of it was just an expectation that you would go to university you would go as hard as you could and try to get into law medicine mm-hmm. engineering like that kind of stuff right and that if you didn't get that then you were a failure mm-hmm. was that similar in japan more so i would say yeah yeah um you're talking about australia right yeah yeah, yeah i think you know, Australians are cool, you know, I my impression, but Australians are like following your dream and, and uh, you know, just live fully, surf a little bit, you know. <laughs> um, but if you say that uh, that wasn't the case in Australia, imagine that the Japan was like a much, much worse. Mm. Yeah, so much pressure and uh, um, it's, uh, it's suffocating. How did you cope with the pressure? Um... Interestingly, I did well within that pressure. Uh, I've been always 
good student, not like excellent, excellent student, but I was always decent. Uh, sports, I wasn't excellent, but I was always good, popular, and uh, you know, I managed well. Uh, so if there are like manual of uh, successful life, Japanese version, I scored very high, you mm. know, and got to uh, to a place that I could enjoy. You know, luxury, all the material goods, and then you know, high-paid job and everything. Um, You're working for a media company, right? Yeah, uh, I was working for uh, probably the the biggest uh, media conglomerate uh, in Japan, and uh, you know, it's a like nice, fancy world. The image is good. So, being a member of that enterprise, you know, I was uh, I was viewed, you know, a successful mm -hmm. uh, guy, and then there's a horrible expression in Japan uh, called the kachigumi and makegumi. Kachigumi is literally translated winning team and makegumi is uh, the losing team or losers and uh, uh, to the eyes of many people I was definitely one of the kachigumi members you know so society kind of splits into two groups whether you are kachigumi or makegumi and uh, uh, so, so I became Kachigumi to the eyes of many people. But the question is, was I uh, really happy? It was another story. And uh, uh, I guess we're going to talk more about when did that. You, when did you first get a club? I was thinking about this. I mean, we. I went riding with my friend this morning and um, we were talking that if you don't go through something that kind of breaks you, unless you're lucky enough to have figured out how it all works early, like this kid who says, I am already somebody, that kid's going to be fine. But if you don't go through something that breaks you, you're not going to have the opportunity to put yourself back together mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a kind of in a better way. But you're gonna, you kind of have to break it. Mm -hmm. It has to be broken. You can't right. just turn around one day and go, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. It has to actually hurt right. until, until you decide, I'm going to do something different now. Yeah. I, re I was remembering that, but years before this happened, I'd be at dinner and we'd be in this beautiful restaurant. And I was, this is 10 years ago, all right? I was, I was earning good money. I was doing like five jobs. I was, it was all right. And I remember eating this meal that costs, I can't even remember how much. I didn't even taste it. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was early. It was like the food just didn't taste Mm -hmm. Anymore, I didn't. I didn't even. I was like, I might as well be eating a sandwich mm -hmm. that I made myself. Right, right. I'm eating this forty dollar dish from this hotel, this restaurant. Put my valet out the car, the front the valet's twenty five bucks. Mm -hmm. You know, I pay the bill at the end with a bottle of wine. It's three hundred US dollars. I'm like, yeah, just put it on my credit card. Right. I'm such a big guy. Right. I didn't even remember what the meal tasted like. Right. You know? So, what were the first signs for you that? Kachigumi might not have been working. Right, okay, so uh, as I uh, mentioned, um, I became one of the Kachigumi members, uh, you know, having a good job with a high salary and living in a, a penthouse of a tall um, the apartment complex and, and I had a, a yellow convertible, which is very rare. What uh, kind of convertible? What kind of car? It's a Saab. Yeah, so you know, yellow convertible, and then uh, um, you know, I even if it's like freezing day, uh, I put my girl, beautiful girlfriend next to me uh, at that time, and I put the hood up, 
Uh, it wasn't like a, me to enjoy the openness, but it was to present to the society that, hey, look, look, look. It's not like look at, look at like my beautiful girlfriend and look at this great car. It's like, a, hey, look, 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 look at me with this beautiful girl in this beautiful you know, car. And uh, um, in retrospect, it was such a shallow, you know, ego uh, uh, talking, but uh, uh, I felt so natural because I thought that I deserved to do that. So, uh, um, you know, and in fact, uh, I had a lot of pleasurable happiness. You know, I, you know, you know, I got invited to parties and then drinking champagne and then, uh, you know, do, did some crazy stuff and then still get paid well. But uh, 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 there was uh, uh, one event happened and it, it became a trigger to change my whole directions of life. Um, I uh, was uh, commuting uh, in the morning from my apartment in a very posh part of Tokyo called Jiugaoka. You know, people look, you know, really excited to live in this posh area. Um, and then uh, uh, I was uh, taking a train, very crowded. Uh, from uh, Jiugaoka to Shinbashi, which is the, uh, the business district. And the uh, uh, train was very packed. And I was, of course, I'm a member of Kachigumi. I'm wearing this like nice tailored shirt. You know, all the, you tailored know. shirts? Aren't right. they an extravagance? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And then that nicely like ironed and, and uh, everything and was perfect. And you didn't iron it. I didn't iron it. You know, I let it somebody else do it. You know, I'm Kachigumi. <laughs> I'm and uh, um, so, and then I have this like a leather bag, which was, you know, I mean, from some brand I forgot. And uh, I got on the train and then, uh, uh, you know, I noticed that in front of me, there's this uh, uh, old gentleman um, standing uh, and then I hold on to this uh, um, the handle thing. The, the railing, yeah, the, the, railing. the handle, yeah. Right. And then uh, he doesn't seem well. He was uh, he he looks pale and he was sweating and then uh, uh, obviously he was sick. Uh, and uh, but he was hanging on. And then after a while, the train gets very shaky, and then uh, uh, he lost his balance and then uh, bumped into me. Uh, and uh, he sweat, you know, uh, kind of, you know, uh, smeared on my nice ironed. Uh, Taylor made shirt, uh, and uh, I was so furious. I didn't scream at him, but I was staring at him like uh, for a while, and you know, like really like a vicious look. And uh, uh, I'm, you know, maybe not in Australia, and especially not in the Netherlands. Uh, I'm not a tall guy, but in Japan, I'm a tall, well-built guy. And this old man was so like feared, and, and he said, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry," and I was like, "Keep on staring at him," you know. And uh, it went on and on and on. Then something happened. It was uh, almost like a ALS uh, ice bucket challenge kind mm -hmm. of stuff. The sensation that I had was exactly that. Like a, it almost, uh, I felt that somebody splashed cold icy water onto my face. It was a huge wake-up call. And then the, the sensation that I felt was, uh, made, me, made me think that, oh my God, I don't like this guy. But this guy doesn't mean this old man, that this guy means this Kachigumi member 
who appear very successful and happy, uh, but he get ticked off, uh, you know, with such a trivial thing. Certainly, when I was a kid, I didn't want to grow up to be this guy, and that was pretty strong uh, sensation because I didn't like myself. Then uh, uh, that was a wake up call, and I thought that. Oh my God! You know, uh, I have to analyze my life, and then I started the kind of uh, assessment, and it was true that not only with anger, but with sadness, disappointment, jealousy, you know, insecurity, and all that negative uh, emotions, I can get like easily triggered if some external condition or somebody says something, something uh, you know happens. I go into the deep ditch of these negative emotions, and uh, then I start questioning myself: uh, Am I really kachigumi, not having this balanced emotion? So I start uh, uh, exploring what are the uh, the options to uh, get me this different kind of happiness. And yeah, so that was uh, the beginning of our adventure. Did you see anybody in your life that had happiness that you wanted, and you couldn't figure out how they got it? Interestingly, uh, uh, when I was uh, nineteen, um, it was the first year uh, after I moved to the states, and uh, you know, start learning English, and then uh, uh, I became a good friend of an uh, exchange student from uh, from England, and he grew up in Africa, and uh, um, he. Long story very short, like we together uh, thought that there's something that young students can do. So we uh, organized an NGO and uh, raised some money and then uh, went to Africa and then donated the, the money and the vehicles. And uh, uh, so that was a very interesting uh, uh, experience in my life. But what's amazing was that the uh, in a refugee camp uh, in Malawi, where a bunch of uh, Mozambicans at that time having the civil war uh, fled. Many of them fled. And uh, there are some horrendous stories that, that we heard and, and I probably shouldn't mention because the listeners may lose some appetite for three days. Like it was so, uh, so bad. And then those people had tremendous uh, suffering, but uh, they had, in, the, in, the, in the refugee camp, there's a sense of cheerfulness. Although they are hungry, they're smiling, and uh, they have absolutely nothing. Uh, but they somehow manage to find the beauty, uh, sense of humor, kindness in that environment. So that, in the middle of like my early midlife crisis, after becoming Kachigumi, I was questioning, hmm, where's my happiness? I didn't get it in abundance. But these people living in a, such a scarcity has something, you know, very positive. So that was kind of like a wake-up moment right. as well, yeah. So where, where did you start to look? What did you do? Right. So um, uh, actually I was extremely lucky because I needed to start my personal journey to find real happiness. But uh, when I was contemplating on quitting job and then starting my own venture, believing that that would make me to find out what the real happiness. 
my uh, special friend uh, living in the U.S. and he's a successful uh, documentary filmmaker. His name is Rocco Balich. Called me and said, "Hey, AG, um, you know uh, my next documentary film uh, got just funded. Uh, would you like to join?" And then I, I had been always like a fan of movies, so I thought, "Oh, that sounds interesting," but not completely. You know, convinced that I would do, but I asked like, okay, so what's the theme? And he said, okay, we are going to make a documentary film on happiness, and that was like a bingo because I myself was interested in、uh, the secret of happiness personally, but、uh, here is opportunity、uh, with which I can travel around the world with my best friend. <laughs> and then learning the secret of happiness, hanging out with amazing people in the world, plus get paid. You know, not a lot, but you know. So I said, bring it on. And then I quit my job and then,、uh, went on a six years journey、uh, as far as this、uh, filmmaking is concerned.、Uh, What happened to the penthouse? Penthouse, I uh, I, uh, I I got rid of it.、Uh, I got rid of my car, and I moved to.、Uh, His house and a garage. So it's interesting that、wow. I didn't do much research. I mean, he is actually uh, uh, he won a cut. I know he got nominated for Oscar. Wow! And he won Sundance, a very highly regarded documentary filmmaker. But and then this this guy is inviting me to join his new filmmaking. So in the back of my head, I was dreaming about okay, Hollywood. You know, Beverly Hills, blonde girls, and then a champagne and then a red carpet. <laughs> Actually, Rocco has a, a very—I shouldn't say like rundown, but like a you know the house、uh, in a very bad part of uh, uh, San Francisco、uh, called Vallejo. I don't know if you know. Yeah,、uh, it's pretty rundown uh,、yeah. uh, town, and then.、Uh, um, You know he has a family, you know, very loving family. But、uh, I end up like uh, uh, moving into his garage.、Um, so you know, here I was. I I became like a VIP. You know,、uh, no, no, not VIP. MVP、mm-hmm. of the, my former company, big company. Here I am. You know, living in a、uh, you know garage、uh, in a house in Vallejo. But how was, how was that? But. Actually, the funny thing was that the uh, uh, in uh, retrospect,、uh, that was the best time of my life. Interestingly,、mm. um, every day was joy.、Uh, and, uh, it's it's many people actually ask. So, how's my happiness? You know, after investigating happiness and, and making a film on happiness and doing、uh, other stuff, and.、Uh, um, It is true that uh, uh, I feel a lot of joy presenting the film on a stage, you know, and Q and A session, and、uh, people, you know, round of applause, you know, standing ovation sometimes, and, and、uh, you know, telling me that、uh, you are you did such a great job, blah blah blah. Certainly, it is good for my happiness and good for my ego, and. Uh, uh, That's wonderful, but now looking back, I don't compare the degree of happiness, but there was a different quality of happiness when we were struggling, you know, because it took six years. Original plan was two years. Why? Because things、uh, that we didn't expect happen 
you know, we ran out of money. Uh, Rocco and I had a, you know, difference in the direction of the film. You know, so there are not always good times. You know, there are some tough times. And, um, but interestingly, before we started the project, kind of like we had an agreement that uh, because we are making a film on happiness, we have to be happy. And uh, someday we'll make a great film, feature length, great film. Uh, and then, uh, um, sure enough, uh, we may be on a stage, you know, the premiere, world premiere, North American premiere. People love it, you know, and then, uh, you know, they think that we did a great job. That day may arrive or may never arrive. But uh, if we put the, all the gratification at that point, then uh, the, uh, the journey leading up to that stage may be kind of the endurance. So we, we thought that we have to enjoy every single step. Uh, making sure that uh, we'll enjoy it. And uh, I still remember that uh, 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 I went to Egypt with the Rocco's brother, Adrian, and uh, we were filming, and uh, um, one day, uh, it was the Cairo before the revolution. Mm. So there were, uh, uh, Mubarak, uh, you know, the government was so strict about you know, uh, about the journalists or uh, documentary filmmakers filming and revealing some secrets that they don't uh, want to reveal to the world. So uh, we realized that we were chased by, uh, like uh, followed by secret police. And uh, uh, one day, Adrian and I were filming a, a girl. Uh, she's a kind of uh, activist slash popular blogger, you know, and she was criticizing the government and uh, we were filming her at the cafe then the secret police really felt that, okay, you know, that's it. You know, you have to capture them. And uh, um, long story short, uh, we felt that, uh, you know, we are being uh, followed. So we started running away. And, uh, you know, we have a limited budget, so we cannot throw the big camera away. So we are carrying, both Adrian and I were carrying this big camera, running in the street of Cairo, and being felt that we are being chased. Kind of panicky moment. But in the middle of it, because we have this like a rule that, you know, we as a team have to enjoy every step of this journey. So in the middle of it, like we got kind of like looking at each other, running and I say, hey, are you having fun? <laughs> so I think, uh, but life is like that. You know, if you think that uh, this present moment is a preparation for somebody, some day that is glorious, then you can't enjoy it. So uh, it's good that we have that um, kind of pact at the beginning. And by the sounds of things, you found that to be true again and again with the people that you spoke to, right? Right, right, right. So you're going to edit, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I edit all my crunching. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So by the way, like... My so if there's anything you don't want, I'll cut it out. Yeah. Um, so just a, just a little thing, like uh, uh, English is my second language. Yeah. So... Um, if I say some joke, you know, assume that uh, I'm 20% funnier. <laughs> it's a disclaimer. And uh, if I say something clever, listeners, please add like 20% more uh, cleverness to whatever I said. <laughs> I found that really frustrating when I was um, 
trying to learn Hebrew with my ex-wife uh-huh. and I was with her for a long time. Oh. I found it really frustrating that I could speak to people, but I couldn't be funny or smart. No. And it was really shit. Because <laughs> I didn't have the nuances of, right. of language. So right, right, right. I wish I could speak more than lang- one language. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, I feel sometimes sorry for native English speakers because they don't get to... The whole world now speak English, so you don't get to uh, try out in foreign languages. Yeah. So... I only know how to say one thing in Japanese. Niku taberanai asai dake. Oh, nice. Nice. Dame. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can survive that. Yeah. So all I need to know how to say. Yeah, like, yeah. Right. That means I don't eat meat, only vegetables. Right. Good. That's it. But you are vegetarian since... Um, vegetarian since about 24. 24? Okay. vegan since about 28. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. And the health, energy level, very good. Yeah, I mean, you have, you're a very energetic guy. Run three marathons. Um, yeah. I, my best I ever did was I ran a marathon on a Sunday, mm-hmm. and I ran a half marathon the following Saturday. Wow. Yeah. wow. That was the best I ever did. Yeah. Say, say it again? Like full marathon? Full marathon on a Sunday right. on Los Angeles. Right. And then six days later, in New York, I ran a half marathon. Wow. I'm impressed, but I'm going to impress you back. Go. Okay. So, um, I had a, a, you know, a big surgery on my yeah, liver. Yeah, you did, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, my, uh, three years ago, my dad uh, uh, was dying of uh, liver cancer. And uh, we learned that the only way to save him to, uh, is a, a liver transplant. Long story short, I gave half of my liver. But my health was, oh my God, like winding down and I'm 44 years old. Um, I was 42 back then. And uh, I thought that, you know, I'm getting like weaker, didn't feel energy and pain is still there. And then uh, all my friends thought that, okay, that's it. AG, the energetic guy, uh, happy guy is finally winding down, you know. Then uh, uh, including me. You know, I was thinking that, oh my God, maybe this is it. Then I'm going to be like really sorry ass, you know, old man. But I thought that some of me said, no, I don't let that happen. And I decided that, uh, and I checked some calendar and then uh, I live in Bali. And in the one year anniversary of my surgery, there uh, was going to be uh, um, Bali International Marathon. Oh, yeah. So I said, fuck it, man. Uh, you know, <laughs> On my first year anniversary, after the big, big surgery, 12 hours operation, r- ripping the half of my liver, I'm going to uh, do it. And I had never run full marathon, even a half marathon before. And, uh, you know, I started practicing, and then a little by little, I'm gaining my energy. You know, I had this, like, Rocky Balboa thing mm-hmm. going on, you know. Then uh, uh, I did it. It took me a long time, but I completed it. Then, uh, then I realized that oh my god, if you put like really mind and spirit into it, you know, most of things are possible. So, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned um, you mentioned fuck it, which I know was one of your favorite phrases. Right, right. I heard you use it the other day. Mm. Could you take me through that? Right. So uh, I learned uh, some important life lesson uh, through this journey on happiness and. Uh, um, Something that I keep very close to my heart 
is a English phrase,、um, and it sounds actually poetic、uh, to me. And、uh, it, in essence, it's a word of wisdom, courage,、um, detachment, and、uh, optimism. And、uh, that is, as you said,、uh, it's fuck it. You know, not like a fuck it. You know, it's just yeah, pronunciation is very important. Fuck it. You know, maybe like you have to add, like, oh, fuck it. You know, <laughs>、um, but come to think of it,、um, it is, it has so much, you know,、uh, in that phrase.、Um, and the funny thing is that when you are speaking English, you know, this word represents the phenomena, this simple phrase represents the philosophy. And then,、uh, that's in the English spoken culture. Whereas in many countries, don't have that convenient terms. So the spirit is not well manifested. So,、uh, there are so many、uh, things that I like about the English spoken society and so many things that I don't like about. But as far as the spirit of fuck it is concerned, I think it's great. <laughs> <Yeah> . So, <laughs> you. You're going around the world, you're getting chased by secret police,、mm-hmm. giggling <laughs> like Indiana Jones running through Cairo. <laughs> yeah, interestingly, when I was chased, in my mind, seriously, I heard like a. <laughs> Did you find a basket behind him? <laughs> yeah. So you're going around the world, you're trying to find it, you're talking to professors, you're talking to monks, you're talking to all kinds of people. When did it start? When did you start to see the parallels? When did you start to see the things that were the same? How、mm-hmm. early? Right. So, our mission was to find universal happiness.、Uh, because we are making a film on happiness, we have to capture that. And、uh, we did the homework before we go, went into a journey. We read a lot of books, research papers, saw a bunch of movies, and, and、uh, did a decent amount of. You know,、uh, investigation. And there are some keywords pop up, such as positive psychology, gratitude journal,、uh, flow, exercise, you know, vitamin B12, you know, mindfulness, and all that. But uh, uh, we wanted to uh, find out uh, what would be the most potent,、uh, most powerful happiness ingredients, which Doesn't only work for the special demographic. I mean, we are looking for something that works for pretty much everybody, you know, from different race, different countries, spiritual traditions, income status, and all. Then,、uh, first, it wasn't an easy task. Nothing came out as obvious. But,、uh, uh, you know, a few months into the investigation,、uh, we realized that something.、Uh, Very common among happy people. But a, a kind of happiness、uh, that in English is said to be contentment, like a content people. On the other hand, like a pleasurable happiness uh, is uh, relatively easy to attain. You save up some money and then、uh, drink nice champagne and go to Hawaii and then、uh, drink pina colada on the beach, you know, or party like rockstar, you know. That's attainable. 
but we are particularly interested in contentment, kind of happiness, and trying to find and find out the secret of contentment, kind of happiness. And uh, uh, one day it became very clear, meeting, having met so many people, and uh, uh, the fact that we found uh, was that the uh, there are no happy assholes on earth it is uh, it is impossible to have contentment kind of happiness being selfish self-centered you know uh, egoistic that was my uh, observation because we didn't see any examples like ha the people who are oozing out with satisfaction contentment they are very kind uh, altruistic and uh, very giving and uh, I wanted to ask the uh, question, Nasher. If um, if you think of the three least happy people you know, the miserable people, and some of them have a you know some tragedy recently, you know, then let's put them aside. But in general, uh, the least happy people that you know, maybe I assume they are more self-centered, you know, uh, more egoistic. Absolutely. Right, right. Now, hang on, though. These people do find happiness in things like a big boat, mm -hmm. pretty girlfriend, eating the $300 dinner. You know, they have this happiness, but mm -hmm. it's fleeting. Mm -hmm. It's gone within the space of a day. It's gone within a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. I don't know if these... I'm thinking... I couldn't think of three. I'm thinking of two. Hmm. What what are their names? I won't say. <laughs> They're both men. I won't say, but I'm trying to imagine these people having a feeling of contentment mm -hmm. and what they would need to do to get that feeling of contentment. Mm. And I can't picture them being content. Now, hang on a sec. Are, are we going for contentment because it's it lasts longer? It's more sustainable. Is that why contentment is the thing to go for? I don't know the duration of it, uh, but my impression is that the pleasurable happiness is short-lived. You know, mm. it's a spike of mm. feelings, and know, it usually positive. costs usually costs money. Right, right, right. <laughs> and then uh, you know how to get them, the then it fades away, yeah. and you have to you need an, the more resource to get that again. Mm. It's just like a spike yeah. of a positive emotion, which I enjoy. But uh, I think happiness is made of a different kind of frequency, so to speak. I mean, it's not as spiky and dramatic as pleasurable kind of happiness. But uh, if you think about it, like, uh, you know, the, there's uh, this like warm, like steady, you know, almost like a warm blanket kind of feeling, you know, make you feel cuddly and, and uh, you know, the soft and kind. That happiness also ex uh, exists, and then, uh, you can't buy this feeling, uh, I assume. Um, and then, uh, because it's consistent, not as spiky, but consistent, maybe it feels long lasting. Mm. Yeah. Right. Right. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. But yeah, the people that I think who are the least happy people, they're... What are their names? No, no, no. no. <laughs> they're, they're, they're unlikely to think of others. They may think of others sometimes, uh-huh. but generally, one in particular has a you know advanced himself mm. by stepping on others. Right, right. And I don't see this person as happy at all. Right, right. You know, this yeah. person's got all the. Um, I forgot the word now. The the two classes in Japan. Kach, kachigumi? Yeah. Kachigumi quality. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, got it all. Yeah. yeah. Got it all. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know, though. Right. And, then, uh, you know, you said that the $300 champagne, the bottle of champagne, or, you know. Oh, the dinner was 300 dinner, bucks. right. Yeah. You know, but I, you know, I wonder, okay, so here's a $10 steak. Yeah. And here's. $25 steak, you know, both are tasty. And I would say that $25 steak uh, is probably like a 1.7 times tastier. Not you know? two and a half times. Yeah, not yeah. two and a half. <laughs> and then if you order like $300 piece of steak, it's certainly not like 30% tastier. God, you know, it's probably like a 2.4%, no, I mean 240% tastier. Yeah. So the, the, the rest of it, the rest of the, the, the gap is just for your ego, right? <laughs> Basically, like, this is an ego-pleasing thing. Um, and, and, you know, I enjoy. If somebody else pays, I, yeah. I'll eat it. But there are so many things that, that you can do with uh, the money if you, let's say, I don't, I'm not here to preach, but uh, if you share. Because the fact that we are living in the 21st century, um, our glass of happiness is almost full you know nothing much would excite you you know like when i was a kid like a thought of having to amsterdam really excited me you know it was like a dream come true my father's generation you know they didn't even my dad didn't even know where the amsterdam is you know my grandpa's generation you know this is totally insane adventure you know maybe like a few people from japan can come to amsterdam but we can achieve it so easily and then the first time I was so happy, you know, I've been to Amsterdam like, a, you know, maybe five, five times. Every time it gets less and less, you know, um, amazing. And then, uh, so the fact that we are living in the 21st century with uh, a lot of access to many great things, we are um, having like a low fuel efficiency uh, 
on happiness. You know, if you pour some gasoline on happiness, we're like a big SUV. Like you run only a little bit, you know. Whereas if you have a low, you know, very, you know, I mean, if your reception of happiness is very good, you can run so much. Yeah. And having said that, it's almost like my glass of happiness is full. So no matter how much you pour, it flows out. You can't get any more full. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, at that point, the uh, the way to make you happy is to again, like I'm, I, I'm, I sound like I'm preaching, but if you share this water uh, and then filling somebody else the glass, then you get the joy out of it. And uh, I have a um, very interesting experience a uh, um, couple years ago. I live in Bali, and uh, I did a, a charity screening of uh, my movie, Happy. Uh, and uh, probably like 150 people showed up at the yoga studio. And uh, we raised about like $1,200. And the money was going to go to uh, this uh, charity uh, in Bali, um, which uh, give surgery to uh, Balinese people with the Cadillac. Oh, right. Yeah. Cataract surgery. Cataract surgery. surgery. It's right. A, yeah. Right. And then uh, it's common because, uh, I don't know, the uh, the Bali is so small and then, uh, you know, there's a marriage, uh, you know, between like a cousins and, you know, mm. that is common. And then somehow it creates uh, a cataract more yeah, often right. than not. So the cataracts, how do you call it? Cataract? Cataract. Cataract. Yeah. See, my, my, my accent, but add... 20% yeah. more so that you appreciate I'll also say 20% more charming <laughs> right, right. see <laughs> okay because I have the benefit of being in your presence for right. people who are listening I right. just want to let them know yeah <laughs> ladies out there find out my email address <laughs> um, so uh, where was I um, so we when you gave the money to the foundation yeah, foundation the cataract and then uh, uh, it costs to give a, a surgery, it costs 30 bucks per patient. Okay, $30, I can give a site to somebody. That was good news. And then the $1,200, so you do math, like a, you know, a decent number of people will regain the eyesight. Then uh, uh, the screening was done, donate the money, and then I had to fly back to Tokyo, you know, for uh, some business meetings. And uh, I had a meeting with one of my former colleagues uh, whose company got just recently IPO'd. So he has a lot of money, right? And we had some like a chit chat, a nice business meeting. And then, uh, uh, you know, it was, uh, we had dinner. And after dinner, uh, of course, I didn't pay for it. He paid for it, right? And then after dinner, he said, okay, uh, Eiji-san, you know, I'll take you to something very special. You know, so he was like, he had a big smile in his face and uh, hinting that, uh, okay, this is what the richest will do in the Japanese society. So I was expecting, wow, what kind of entertainment will come up? Um, then he, uh, you know, we took a taxi and then uh, uh, we went to this uh, hostess bar uh, in the middle of Tokyo. The hostess bar is not like uh, the whole house. I mean, it's just like a the, the drinking place with beautiful woman sit, sitting next to you and then uh, made all kinds of compliments and then uh, pour some beer or champagne into your glass and then we like socialize with 
with these uh, beautiful ladies. And certainly, beautiful ladies, I, you know, uh, I love their company, but, you know, the conversation very superficial, and uh, uh, I order, I don't know, gin and tonic or something, and then she brought it, and I checked the bill later on, and it cost 30 bucks, okay? 30 bucks. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I mean, that's what they enjoy, you know, thank you, you know, but I didn't get any uh, joy out of it, you know. Then I flew back to Bali, and that was when, uh, uh, then I uh, received a phone call from the uh, this uh, uh, institute where I, you know, which I uh, donated the money to. And uh, this lady said, hey, Eiji-san, uh, there's going to be a uh, um, uh, visit to the village where one of the uh, uh, the kids who went through the surgery will uh, are living. So, you know, they are going to this whole doctors and a team of doctors and nurses visiting many villages and particularly go to this village where this one boy is living. And uh, basically we paid for his surgery. And that's a day, they, uh, I mean, they invited me to join the day to remove the bandage out of his eyes and be there when he could see right right oh so it's like a it's a you know well nice you know uh, i wanted to see the fruit of what i did i joined the, the trip and visited the small village and in, uh, in bali the each village has uh, this like a, a community get together place mm. and that's where uh this bandage removal is going to be held and sure enough, like a bunch of uh, villagers, you know, get together. And uh, on one side, there's uh, doctors and then the nurses and then some some people from the institute surrounding this like, young boy, seven years old, you know. Hmm. Uh, of course, he's covered with a like, bandage, right? And then on the, and then the people, the village people around them. And then on one corner, there's a bunch of uh, uh, ladies, women in the mid-30s. You know, like a, you know, getting together, and I kind of sense that the, oh, maybe one of them uh, is uh, mother of uh, this kid because uh, the the female of that age wasn't around the kid. You know, mm. so just giving a space to the doctors to do the job. So the ladies, probably like seven or eight of them, uh, kind of sitting uh, apart from the, uh, the 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 kid with doctors. So the, they are removing the, the bandage. And after completely removing it, it's still shiny to his eyes. So he was like slowly, slowly open his eyes. And these women are looking very like, uh, you know, anxiously, you know. And then slowly, slowly he started like, gaining the vision. And then, by the way, this kid uh, never had a, you know, sight. He never saw. So he never saw. For the first time, he saw something and he looked at this like a bunch of ladies, you know. By the way, this kid didn't know who his uh, mom was, right? Because like, he had never seen his mom. Interestingly, he like run into this the lady. Uh, he didn't miss. Like he just went straight at the 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 in the the hands of uh, his mother. Mm. You know. So it was like a totally like goosebump moment. How could he know that was the, his mother? And all that like, goosebump feeling cost me 30 bucks. <laughs> so this like a stupid cocktail or gin tonic that I ordered, 30 bucks. You know, didn't add me any 
you know, uh, liquid of happiness into my cup, but just sharing it in a very effective way, you get all kind of buzz and happiness. So that's when I learned that, okay, you know, I mean, for my, for selfish reason, I should increase my happiness by doing unselfish thing because it's actually pragmatic. It's very effective. So that's a hell of a story, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a hell of a story. <laughs> wow. You know, we've, I've, you know, there's many people listening. We've, Australians go to Bali all the time, as right. you know. And, you know, to see how we live versus how some of the Balinese people live in the villages, to, to imagine that this kid was going to live his life without ever seeing anything. Mm-hmm. And right. what opportunities he would have or not have. Yeah. Yeah, that's something. That's something else. Great. Yeah, that's something else. Isn't it? Yeah, that's really something else. I know you got to go to dinner, but I did want to just very quickly before we um, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask because we talked about this the other day, but I think it's it's quite important. You, I knew what was coming when you did the compassion exercise the other mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. and I loved watching the room. Mm-hmm. Loved watching the room. In this giving. To, to, to find happiness and s- sustainable happiness and, and contentment and this goosebump feeling in the giving and not being selfish there is also compassion and having compassion and that happiness can come from come from compassion but like you said I thought it was very interesting it's very easy to love the lovable mm-hmm. when did you first have you been able to yourself love those who are unlovable um i have a very peculiar uh, experience and i hope the uh the listeners are not eating at this moment the but... things they've heard on this show right. it's right. gonna be all right okay got it um so i was told by scientists who studied the brain activities and leading scientists uh, we interviewed. And uh, uh, they all said that the compassion leads to happiness. And I thought, okay. And then I, over and over again, saw lots of evidence. So I thought like, okay, here I am, not as a, just a filmmaker, but as a person who was stuck, you know, in terms of happiness. So I wanted to increase my happiness. And then it seems like compassion is a key for happiness. So I thought, like, man, I have a homework. I have to increase my compassion. And I've done, like, lots of uh, meditations and, uh, you know, the contemplative techniques and I learned and then uh, positive psychology. And I did, I did all that. But I thought that I have to do more in terms of compassion training. So uh, I, uh, I signed up for uh, three weeks uh, volunteer uh, opportunities in Barcelona because I was looking for some occasion where I can cultivate my compassion and interestingly uh, the neuroscientists that I got to know said that, that if you really really commit if you really do good act of kindness you experience small nirvana and I thought wow that's a strong statement and I want nirvana you know without smoking anything, you know, but, um, so or, I thought, or doing <laughs> yoga for 20 years or right, something. Right. Right. I wanted to still be decent. 
So I thought, okay, compassion works. So I was like so excited. Okay, I'm going to Barcelona, do this volunteer activities. And then uh, it was uh, uh, serving the patients at the uh, institute, which look after the people with cerebral palsy, you know. And uh, I've never done it, but I thought, you know, I saw the image of the people with very heavy uh, physical disadvantage. And then uh, I thought, that wow, that's, that's like, a, that must be good compassion, you know, uh, training uh, uh, place. So I flew from Asia uh, to Barcelona and then, uh, started my work. And uh, first week, I got uh, this assignment, uh, which is to, you know, go to park with the patients in wheelchair. I push the wheelchairs and then uh, go to the park in the center of ba uh, Barcelona and uh, get them enjoy this the the sun you know so sunbathing it's good for their health and it was good like uh, you know I pushed the wheelchair and then uh, uh, patients were like happy smiley and then it's also good good for my ego like uh, the Barcelona lots of tourists looking at me oh this uh, Asian man is a kind man so you know my ego was also nicely <laughs> massaged so so sure enough okay uh, compassion leads to happiness mm, to some degree okay. So first week I did that, good, first week, right. Then second week, uh, I got a new assignment. Uh, okay, Eiji-san, here's another task that you can do. And what is it? Uh, and uh, it was to uh, spoon feed, you know, the patients. Because their neck is so fragile, so you have to kind of like a hold them like a baby, support their neck and spine, and then slowly feed them, you know. And then... Uh, Okay, that's my job. So I was like, for one week, I was like feeding them three times a day, you know, feeding them. And they are so vulnerable looking at me. And then I thought, okay, well, you know, it's a good feeling. You know, my compassion is certainly increased than the previous week. But there's a certain resentment because it was far, far away from this little nirvana. You know, here I am, like came from all the way from Asia to Barcelona and spending you know, a good amount of money to get here but I had like a little compassion increase you know I was expecting like Nirvana right like, yeah you know maybe I should have done something else but second week ended and then the third week final week I got a new assignment and uh, what was it I asked and then uh, they said okay you go to toilet with patient and then uh, uh, the patients have to do their job uh, big stuff and then uh, you have to clean them you know then I said wait 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 you know uh, I'm just a volunteer you know I can I can push wheelchair I can spoon feed but I cannot wipe somebody else's ass and then we are not talking about like children we're talking about adults you know big Spanish dudes, you know, and then the uh, ladies, you know. Um, so, you know, I have this like a self-imposed limitation, you know. You know, I can do a lot of things of compassion, but I can't do that. But I said, well, you know, what the hell, you know, they expect me to do the job. Okay, I'll go in. So I uh, went to, into a toilet with uh, Fernando, who is like mid-50s. Bowl like a big guy, right? 
and then uh, uh, he's totally vulnerable. I push the wheelchair in, and then uh, uh, I was thinking that, that okay, I leave Fernando in the toilet, and I can just wait outside, you know. And then he kind of like signal, and I come in and clean up. It wasn't the case. You somehow have to stay with the patient in the toilet. And the toilet is interestingly, I don't know why bad design, there's no windows. So it's like completely closed up. And then, uh, so you went in, and then uh, uh, Fernando start doing his things. And uh, I can hear the sound, you know, and then uh, if the smell is so intense, the kind of smells that hurt your eyes, kind of smell. You know, it was like, a, Oh my God, what? It's not so bad when it's you, <laughs> but when it's someone else. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, and it was like, what the, like Spanish foods, like I, I cursed Spanish foods. Oh, like paella. <laughs> yeah, paella. Yeah. And it was so intense, and I was like, oh my God, I didn't sign up for this. And uh, after a while, like, you know, Fernando really relieved, finished his job, and here's my turn to clean him up. You know, I mean, I'm struggling, and I'm like, I can see my limit is coming up. I was, uh, uh, I, I, I got some toilet paper rolled up in my hand, right hand, and then uh, I just, you know, reached out, and it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like, you know, you feel the moisture. Although it's your hand is completely clean because it's the toilet paper in between, but you feel the moisture, smells intense. And I'm like, I felt that, uh, you know, I'm reaching to my limit, you know, upper limit of my tolerance, you know. I was reaching out, oh my God. I didn't have enough courage to check it on the first stroke. So I, I just throw it away like directly, right? Okay, second time. Reaching out, wiping. Well, you, still, you, weren't, you weren't looking? Yeah, still, still I didn't have courage. So I just threw it away. Third time, okay. Reaching out, wiping. Uh, can I see it? Like, I'm like almost up to my limitation, right? Can I see it? Can I see it? I still have, didn't have the courage. I threw it away. Fourth time, I get the toilet paper. And we're, I'm talking, we're talking like 20 sheets. So. Yeah, 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 20 sheets. Yeah. Like, it's like a glove. <laughs> like a glove yeah. of toilet paper. Right. I reached out, and then I have to make sure, otherwise he's not clean, so I have to look at it, you know? And I'm up to here in terms of my self-imposed limitation. I reached out and with courage, I thought, okay, this time I have to check if it's clean enough. I turn, you know, I, I, I slowly move my hands and then uh, seeing, like uh, the, uh, trying to see what's on the toilet paper. It's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh shit, oh shit, literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, oh shit. When I saw it, I'm not kidding. I saw love. I saw love, like a brownish love on toilet paper. And I'm not Christian, but I heard this, hallelujah, <laughs> hallelujah. Like something happened to me, like, oh my God, you know. And then uh, I, after this, you know, um, something happened. And then uh, I, from that moment on, the Fernando's, uh, comfort becomes my comfort. Fernando's uh, discomfort becomes, became my discomfort. Like I'm like connected with him at the deeper level. I was just like hugging and uh, kissing and uh, tears in my eyes. And uh, long story short, like uh, for the entire week, 
I'm just like a weird looking Asian man, you know, like a standing with a big smile in front of the toilet. <laughs> so everybody comes, I'm the uh, dedicated like uh, ass wiper, you know. <laughs> and uh, that was like life changing. And then, uh, and then I see what the, uh, the doctor said, you know, Nubara. I experienced a little Nubara. And then what I learned was that the, uh, it's easy to love lovable. You know, like little puppy, little kids, your own son, your own daughter. Yeah, it's no-brainer. We are hardwired to love somebody, like beautiful girls. And, and uh, you know, we, can, we are capable of love. But the real juice is hidden when, the, when you pass that self-imposed limitation and love anybody unconditionally. And uh, I published a, a biography of uh, Mother Teresa in Japanese manga format, a comic book series that I did. And uh, so in order to publish a, a biography about somebody, I, we have to do lots of investigation and research. And one time Mother Teresa said something like, um, you, have to, you have to give until it hurts. Then beyond that, there's only love. Something like that, she said. And I didn't understand uh, when I first read it, but after this hallelujah moment, I kind of felt that, uh, okay, so the real juice of compassion is hidden when uh, you love unconditionally and in the beyond the seeming limitation of uh, your compassion. And uh, yeah, then after that, other people become you, kind of. So, amen. <laughs> I don't know if you can see because it's getting a bit dark in here, but I've got tears in my eyes. Aji, <laughs> I really do. Mm. That's really beautiful. That's really beautiful. I I do. When you say you got to love until it hurts, I was talking with um, my friend this morning on our bicycle ride. He was asking me what, mm. what you did the other day. I was talking about. Um, E.G. did us an exercise on compassion and it led us in a compassionate meditation and then showed us the footage of um, that television reporter. Uh, was she Serbian? Was she? Uh, Hungarian. Hungarian. To yeah. A Hungarian um, TV reporter tripping the fleeing Syrian refugees. And the exercise was, even though it's a despicable act, doesn't make her a despicable human mm -hmm. and how do we find compassion for her and how far can that compassion go and we were, we were talking about you know the idea that in uh, Germany mm. um, it's unfortunate in our you know society and not just generally it's unfortunate I should say it's unfortunate but human sexuality some tiny spectrum of human sexuality is an attraction to children. Mm -hmm. Now, in Germany, there's a free program that if you find yourself in this little spectrum, you can get treated mm -hmm. and the psychologist will work with you and, and help you. So, because people, I don't want this. This mm -hmm. society looks, this is horrible. I don't want this. I want help before I do something. Mm -hmm. In North America, in parts of North America, if this person was to go to a doctor, that doctor is bound to report them. Mm -hmm. And they end up in, right. in prison. Man. Yeah. The inclusive versus exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the idea that 
to try and be compassionate to this this person you know it's mm. it's it's tough right, right. it's it's tough you know right. you, you, we see the horrific things going on in Syria right now mm. it's like how can you be compassionate to those people mm. that's hard man right, right. that's hard yeah well, that's uh, uh, again like a you know there's no way that I would defend uh, some child uh, you know, uh, abuse or no, 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 me tripping neither. people. Oh God, yeah, no, I, I, don't get me wrong. Yeah, no, I mean, me I, I, I'm totally with you. I mean, you know, the, what the, this Hungarian reporter did, it was horrendous acts. Yeah. But humanity can do better than that. Uh, instead of like a pinpointing them and uh, criticizing. Witch but, hunt. Just yeah, chasing her just, down in the street, yeah. yeah. And then uh, we can buy, um, you know, these are also human, you know. I mean, so... Maybe by including them, there's a better way to, you know, solve. I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's a, I don't have, um, you know, the children who got abused or, you know, I'm not a Syrian. So it's hard for me. Like, you know, who am I to tell everybody about this? But uh, I think the key is that uh, uh, whenever the emotion happens, you know, or when I saw the video of this Hungarian woman, or when I hear about the child child abusers, the the anger comes up. You know, I wanted to punish them, and they should be punished to some extent. But I always challenge myself to do more uh, from that point on. Can I? Can I? But at least, you know, they get punished, and then, uh, everybody else is punishing them. Maybe there's something that uh, we can do. So. Like uh, the early question, like uh, loving the unlovable is, is, or loving people unconditionally may be good uh, to, to one's uh, happiness. It's certainly a better feeling than being angry. Yeah, right. Um, can I give you like one more? Mate, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I'm just sitting around here and I'm not doing work for Australia. I'm going to be on that couch all night. You're yeah. the one that's going to get to dinner. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, uh, um, back to Japanese commuting train. Yeah. Okay. We've all seen pictures. We've all seen right. people getting stuffed into trains. Right, it's right. Packed. That's around like between seven and nine. <laughs> right. I mean, but, but it's like very crowded. Yeah. I, um, after this compassionate training so to speak um, I went back to Japan and then uh, uh, had to take the uh, earliest train uh, this is after Barcelona after Barcelona after Fernando. and after all the, uh, uh, the compassion book. meditation training and all and then uh, I learned one thing or two about compassion you know so I wanted to apply and then I'm back in this uh, uh, train but it was uh, the, the first train of the day so obviously not packed you know, you can still sit. You know, there are a uh, few people on the train. And uh, from Yokohama Station uh, to the center of Tokyo, I took uh, this train uh, called the uh, uh, Toyoko Line. And uh, I got on and I sat because, you know, it was pretty empty. And uh, right next to me, there's a, a Japanese gentleman of uh, my age, my height, you know, uh, probably my socioeconomic status, you know, sit next to me. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. And then we sat. And then, uh, you know, because I was uh, like a bit sleepy, uh, I, you know, sit and then I start like, uh, you know, uh, closing my eyes. 
and then he did the same thing. Train started, and in the next station, door opens, but we kept the, I bet he was closing his eyes too. And then uh, uh, after the, uh, uh, as soon as the train left the, the, the station, I, again, sorry about smelling uh, story again, but I felt this like an intense, sour smell. And then I thought, what the hell is going on? I opened up my eyes and then there was a, a homeless lady, uh, you know, moving in. And then actually, in the very early in the day, there are a bunch of people who cannot be well accepted in the, uh, the society, you know, take the, the earliest train. To move to somewhere because otherwise you know people will complain and so so there are, you know besides this uh, homeless lady there are actually i noticed that there are people with handicap and, and uh you know uh actually people with some deformity you know take the early train what was the other word the i keep forgetting it you said there were two classes no kachigumi makegumi so definitely a bunch of uh, makegumi people in it and then uh, uh i smell this like uh, i i smell this like intense uh, sour Mm. Uh, order and then I saw that this uh, like a lady, homeless lady, but she's not the kind of a homeless lady who completely given up. You know, there are people who look, you know, the homeless, right? Mm. She's still trying heavily to get back to the ordinal society. Maybe she was recently uh, fired and lost, you know, her mm. apartment. So she is like she looked decent. But if you see close to close, see close, like her hair is a bit oily, the uh, the the colors of the shirt uh, is nicely buttoned up, but the uh, edge is like really dirty, you know. So that's a uh, she's trying, but uh, she you can see and smell that she's definitely not wealthy. And then uh, so I I recognize it, then I close my eyes, uh, but I noticed that the, the the man next to me was really irritated, you know, and smelling like a kind of obviously giving like very bad look, you know, against this smell. And she was like, you know, he was like, a, you know, making this noise, like, you know, showing the little mm. upset. And then the train went on to another station, stopped, and uh, uh, she didn't leave. So we are still in the same compartment. And then uh, he is getting increasingly irritated, you know, Again, like a, you know, giving like a louder noise, like, and then, you know, in Japanese we say takyo means like a, what the hell, you know, why are you here? Like kind of whispering so that she can hear. So constantly pressuring her. Then at the same time, I thought that okay, this is a perfect opportunity to practice my compassion. You know, this guy is sending hate towards her. I said okay, I'll send the compassion, you know, to her. So I, I start thinking that. The, I feel really sorry for what happened to her. I'm wishing her, you know, maybe I'm just making up like a successful job interview or she may find like a safetyness, you know, blah, blah, blah. I start sending it. Next station, his anger was completely obvious. You know, he was like making, you know, making a noise with a foot and then kind of like a, you know, his body is like half over and then, like, you know, trying to like kick her out with eyes out of her, out of the train. Yeah. You know, you see the image, right? Giving her bad looks. Right, right, right. Make her very intensely, yeah. So the, the, this poor lady started kind of noticing it and but felt kind of like a uncomfortable, but she had to get to the destination, so she couldn't get off. So every single stop, his anger gets more and more, 
you know, explosive. It didn't, you know, like increasing. But I kept on sending like, okay, this guy's, uh, this guy's, you know, giving you a bad look. But uh, you know, the the old lady, uh, I wish you the best. Still, I'm smelling this intense smell. He's smelling the same thing. Long story short, uh, she didn't get off until the uh, the final the station. We three of us all get off, and he was like he was furious, you know, until the very last moment. I was smelling the bad smell like him, but my peace, my I was peaceful. I was loving. I was very comfortable. So this uh, one train ride uh, is almost like a life, you know. Anything could happen, you know, some unpleasant experience such as like accident or laid off or, you know, broke up or somebody's death. But if you deal with that uh, with sense of compassion and care, then your life is easier. Just like my, how my, uh, how easy got the, my ride was with compassion. So, uh, yeah, I think this is uh, something that I wanted to share, and then I felt that I changed a lot, you know, since my asshole, you know, uh, narcissistic asshole Kachigumi days. Right. <laughs> Iji, I can't thank you enough for coming, man. All right, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. I've had such a great week with you here. Uh-huh. I'm so grateful that, you know, from the first time we spoke on, on the Skype and uh you know, the, the the gifts you gave the people that came here to Amsterdam for the school and the gift you're giving us now. I'm just really, thanks a lot, man. No, thank you for doing this. And uh, it's a collaborative work. We'll make humanity better yeah, man. together. So I'm going to take your photo with that camera, okay? Yeah, sure, sure. Bring it. Cool, man. Yeah. All right. All right. That was Iji Hanshimis. You can find out more about him at latinsamurai.com, all one word, L-A-T-I-N-S-A-M-U-R-A-I, latinsamurai.com. Thank you so much for being here. If Christmas is your thing, have a great Christmas. If Christmas is not your thing, stay safe. Look after yourself. This time of year is a beautiful time of year, so breathe and enjoy it because it comes and goes. And remember, every day is New Year's Day, but we'll talk about that next week. Until we speak next time, thank you so much to Andy Ma, my audio producer, for an incredible year. Thank you so much to Mike Mills for an incredible year. And thank you to Rachel Barrett, my producer, for an incredible year. I could not have done 2018 or any of the things that you've heard on this podcast without those three remarkable, remarkable people. This is not a solo effort. This is most definitely the four of us working together. And I could not thank those people enough. Until we speak next week... Good luck for the rest of this time, these next few days, and I'll talk to you on the first day of the year. Until then, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.